If I'm supposed to preach on Isaiah 10, I'm in trouble. It's uh, the next chapter, but the, the essence of what Adam said is true. Uh, let's see. Welcome to the second Sunday of Advent. My name is uh, is Nathan, and my wife Tanya and I have been here for a long time, and occasionally I, I get the honor and privilege and responsibility to speak to you. I think um, sometimes I'm asked because of my brevity and my wit. I can only promise um, one of those, though. That was my wit right there. Um, so Advent is, is a, a, comes from a Latin word which means um, coming, and it's a time of year where we retune and refocus our heart to the work of Christ with a sense of expectant waiting um, and anticipation. It's a, it's a rich Christian tradition, though it's not a, a biblical mandate, so some of us grew up in traditions where that was a, a really major emphasis and focus of this time of year, and others it was maybe a mention, um, but it's a, it's a good thing to do, and I appreciate that we take that uh, take the time to celebrate it here. I guess a word of caution as we enter the season or as we progress through it. Um, one is, I guess this is just autobiographical. I I struggle with being excited about things in a visible way. Uh, I'm a fun person. I just, uh, I don't know, I, birthday parties and things like that. Um, so anyway, because of how I am, I have trouble sometimes getting into Christmas in the way that a lot of people get into Christmas. And I, I like it and I appreciate it. I have nothing against Christmas. Um, that was a joke. It's okay. So I can be left sometimes to try to manufacture this excitement and this anticipation for what Christ has done. Uh, when in reality, I need to work at at spending time letting Christ put anticipation in my heart uh, as opposed to manufacturing it uh, on my own. So if you are like me, I would challenge you to do that over the next few weeks. The other side of the coin is, is people who are um, easily taken by nostalgia and tradition and sentiment. And we can often uh, substitute those things for what... Um, a true anticipation of Christ is. And so if you are easily swept up in traditions that come along with this time of year, um, make sure that, that included in that are things that anchor you to Christ and to the reason that we do much of what we do. So I like watching Elf with our family. It's a good tradition, but it isn't necessarily redeeming in and of itself. So I need to incorporate in my uh, traditions things that point me to Christ and, and keep me focused on that. Thank you. Uh, let me pray, and then uh, and then we'll move into the scripture. Jesus, thank you for uh, this time of year. Thanks that we can pause and remember the work that you did in your first coming, and the hope that we have in your second. I ask that as uh, we look at your word today, that it would speak to us, and that you would um, speak through me or in spite of me, but that you would speak. And pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. All right, Isaiah eleven, the first uh, ten verses. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his root shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see, or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor, and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, 
and with the branch of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall play or shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And that day, in that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. Amen. <clears throat> Let's see, as, you, uh, as we look at that, a couple of reminders uh, that Mitch mentioned last week as he spoke to us. Uh, and is this, that Jesus is the key to understanding the Old Testament and interpreting what it says. So in this instance, the Sunday school answer is the right answer when you're looking at the Old Testament. Jesus is always the right answer, uh, and all things in the Old Testament point to him. The next few weeks, we get to look at how Isaiah um, does that. With the prophets specifically, uh, remember that they are speaking to a group of people at a particular time and place, and they're giving them a message that is pertinent to that time and place. But they're also speaking to the fulfillment of Christ's coming uh, the first time and also the second time. So it's amazing that the prophets are speaking to three distinct places in time, doing so accurately all the while. Uh, so if nothing else today, stand in awe of the complexity and living nature of God's word. As we approach the passage today, we're going to look at, uh, try to balance, looking at some of the detail of the scripture, but also kind of keeping this big picture approach so that we don't lose the impact of the larger narrative. Uh, look at details in that they are, are helpful in kind of dressing out and filling some of the gaps of those details, but we don't want to miss the forest for the trees. Uh, our emphasis is on the bigger, the bigger picture. So a little background or context. Israel is very weary at this point in history and Judah is as well. The kingdom is divided. Uh, Chapter 10 of Isaiah uh, makes reference to Assyria and the, the defeat of the Assyrians. Uh, and so Ju- uh, Israel had been held captive by Assyria, and then the Lord came and executed 185,000 Assyrians in one night and freed uh, Israel. So they're reeling from years of war and being held captive in exile, uh, and also the consequences of their own disobedience. Um, so as you read this and hear this and ponder this today, do so with a sense of um, of need or of um, of want, just being worn out. And if you don't feel that today, that's good, but realize that we are all in that state of Israel. We are um, constantly looking back and, and seeing what God is doing and has done in our lives and at the same time um, being disobedient and, and dealing with the consequences of um, of that. So... Let's feel that as we look at the passage today. So verse 1 is a reminder of God's covenant and a resurrection, uh, sorry, and a reassurance of the hope that we have in him. So the mention, mere mention of Jesse to this audience immediately triggers this whole history of Israel. So they, they kept um, the history and they kept the God's work alive through this oral tradition of passing down stories and telling one another uh, of where they had, from whence they had come, what God had done and was doing in their life, 
and the promises that he had made to them, this covenant. So just at the mention of Jesse, this immediately triggers um, the remembrance of all of these things and all these stories. Um, So Isaiah invokes just with that one word, kind of a flashback of sorts. Uh, They would remember back to Abraham, to the promise of God, as well as their own shortcomings as a people between then and now. And they would think ahead too and remember uh, that they were still in covenant and that God had made promises that had had yet to be fulfilled. So from the stump of Jesse, the Lord cries, I haven't forgotten you. This came early. <clears throat> that's, that's, yeah, that's the other thing. This is the other thing that happens uh, unexpectedly when I speak. So I haven't forgotten you. I remember my covenant and despite of your shortcomings, I'm still working to fulfill it. Um, from what has been laid to waste, I will build something new. And we, we need those reminders, don't we? So as we move through the, um, the season of Advent, spend time reflecting on what God has done in your past and the hope that that provides for your future. Um, he persists, he pursues us, he is working in us to build something out of nothing. And that that um, verse one right off the bat triggers that in the people of Israel. We look uh, the the passage is kind of broken into sections from here. Verse two through five kind of give us a section, and then six through nine and, and ten's kind of in that and kind of on its own. Um, but but drawing on that remembrance of um, of his work in their history, he builds and he begins to speak to the nature of who is this shoot from the stump of Jesse? Who is this person? So the person of work of person and work of Christ in his first coming will serve as hope for the second coming and as strength um, for us to persevere until that time endure in the present. So for Israel, these verses are looking ahead. They haven't yet received the Messiah. Um, the nature and the character of the of the fruit that would come from this root of Jesse. For us, uh, we're looking back at Christ's first coming. And also looking ahead to a second. So we, we're kind of looking at on either side of the present. Um, Israel was looking fully ahead. So again, I think I, I'm in awe of um, the way inspired texts can speak to so many distinct times in history equally well. Um, it's hard for me. I have an economy of words, and so it's hard for me to sometimes describe descriptions. And these verses are descriptions of the coming king and the one that would reign. Uh, so let's look at the at, at what is given and let's try to unpack it a little bit and then zoom out and um, and look at the whole of the uh, of the passage. So verse two distinguishes Christ as set apart by the Father for His role. It says, "The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon Him." So Christ is sent by none other than the Father Himself, and He bears a divine anointing. And he is set apart um, from the earthly kings that have ruled before. So they've had this history of kings that have some have ruled well and honored God and some have not. And so Christ will come and he'll be set apart. His mandate and his power and his authority will all come from um, from God, the father, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might. Uh, Verse two says Christ's rule would not be dependent on an earthly court of advisors so kings had all these advisors that helped them um, you know interpret what was going on in the world around them and make wise decisions not unlike our own government today Um, but this verse says that the one who is coming 
is in no need of that. He has a, a connection um, to the Father that sent him, and, and he will clearly um, decipher what's going on and rule accordingly. He'll have the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Uh, so in looking at, at different resources, one struck me, and this is um, straight out of a commentary. It said, because the Messiah will be characterized by this fear of the Lord, he can be depended on to perceive correctly and act with integrity. You know, we often, uh, I guess I'm at a point in life where I have a lot of disdain for politics and I don't really trust any politician. So we look at people in office with varying degrees of trust and wondering whether they are serving our interests um, or the best interests of a given nation or their own. And Christ comes and you don't have to wonder. You know, uh, you know exactly um, where he is coming from, who he's representing, and that he is able to, um, to discern and decipher and act according, uh, and we can count on that. Verses 3 through 5 kind of describe the manner with which Christ will carry out his rule. So if you look, look through there, he'll be able to clearly discern and pass judgment on matters that are cloudy or ambiguous to human eyes. And even in current events, you can pick a topic, you begin debating different sides of the topic, and you can quickly uh, become bogged down in ambiguity and different sides. And what we would say is a gray issue. And we see that Christ will come and he will clearly be able to, to discern uh, right from wrong. Um, he will rule with absolute moral authority and he'll have no allegiance to an earthy, earthly group. He has no lobbyist uh, that he is concerned with representing. Um, his rule will be, will be defined by righteousness and faithfulness. In these verses, the prophet makes clear that Christ will come and rule decisively. There's not a middle ground. There's not a gray area. Jesus, by the anointing of the Father, is able to see things for what they are and act accordingly. And this is, uh, you've heard the saying, I call him like I see him. I think this would be, I call it like it is. So we don't have to wonder. Christ comes and, and clearly um, leads the way. That, that's a, touching on a little detail. If we were to zoom out and look at the, um, the general feel of the narrative through these verses, we'd see that expectation is a powerful thing. So Israel at this point in history, is, they're expectant of something. Um, they've been through a lot as a people over a long period of years. Uh, and whether they were alive for much of it or not, this people that Isaiah is speaking to knows of it. And they feel it in their bones, um, this struggle that they've been wrapped up in. So expectation is strong, especially when it doesn't match our experience. So when we have some expectation that is not fulfilled, they're not fully met with reality. So I wonder as a nation what Israel expected um, at this point in history as Isaiah is speaking to them, as they had experienced defeat and slavery and wandering, um, as well as having seen God do things like part the Red Sea and defeat armies um, on their behalf. So they kind of have this mixed bag of experience. There is, um, are you guys up for PG-13 references? I think we can handle it. Um, this will at least date me and what I grew up. So there's a movie uh, called Dazed and Confused. Um, <coughs> and there's this line in it that stands out. And uh, it's like a senior in high school comes. Or maybe he's in college, I don't know. But he comes and, uh, and he says, I came here to do two things, to drink some beer and kick some tail. And I'm almost out of beer. And... Uh, and so I sometimes wonder if Israel is expecting like someone just to come and kick the doors down and say enough is enough. 
you guys have been beat up, but it's over and I'm going to put an end to all of this. Uh, or maybe if you are, this is a bit of a spoiler alert. If you're, if you are current with the walking dead, you can listen. If you're not, you can plug your ears, but, um, there's a character, Daryl in the walking dead that is, uh, he's just a good old boy, but he's the kind of good old boy that you want on your side in a fight, right? He, he just has a grit about him and he's currently subdued in um in this the part of of the show currently and i am just waiting for the episode that he gets cut loose and he can do what daryl does and i think sometimes that's what we expect maybe that's what israel expected of of this coming messiah like you know all of you other nations you're going to get yours and i'm going to be there to watch and i'm going to enjoy it so i Maybe that's what Israel expected. We don't know. But what about you? What do you expect uh, from Christ in your life? And I think we can we can project out long term enough that either it's far enough out that we don't worry about it, um, or maybe the pictures of second coming are, are um, it's hard to wrap our mind around. So we, I think our long term expectation of Christ is. is usually not the issue. It's the short-term expectation of Christ, if we're honest. Um, on, a, on a day-to-day basis, how are you? Do you find that your experience in life is sometimes different from what you subtly expect or hope a life in Christ would be? And I say subtly because we're not always able to be honest with ourselves about what we expect. Uh, and, and it's hard to sometimes sit back and say, you know what, this particular thing that I'm going through in life is tough and it's challenging and honestly i wish i didn't have to do it i don't understand why christ will not remove this from me or give me strength to rise above it more easily uh it it is sometimes frustrating i think if we are if we're honest with ourselves we at least have those times when um when we are disappointed when our expectations are not met in the way that we wish they were we know better but we just don't always feel it Uh, so christ beckons us in these these verses, to fully commit um, or to not at all when it comes to following. He leaves little room by the nature of who he is to, to halfway follow him. Um, the verses 2 through 5 show us that Christ is worthy of our trust and our obedience, even when circumstances differ from expectation. In his first coming, Christ anchored us and equipped us to be able to persevere until his second um, we can only move forward through life because of who Christ is. So we endure things on a, maybe not on a daily basis. We endure things that we are not built to endure, that we cannot endure. And it is a constant means of drawing us to the Father and reminding us um, that we have no strength in ourselves apart from that which Christ gives us. Uh, much in the way that the, the law for the Old Testament demonstrated to people that you are not enough our circumstances do that today and and push us and drive us um, toward christ the nature of uh, following is that one follows right so in um, the sport of mountaineering or rock climbing there there are routes so on a particular mountain there may be um, any number of routes that one chooses to to take to the top and some are easier some are more difficult um, but 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 they're there so when you either unintentionally or intentionally leave one of those routes, you're what's called off-route. You're not following that route anymore. So sometimes when our experience in Christ differs from our expectation, we're tempted to go off-route, either because something else looks easier 
or the way ahead looks too difficult. Um, But Christ, by the nature of who he is, says, stay the course. You are tied to me. You are secure. To continue with that analogy, he is the he's the rope that protects our fall. He allows us to climb um, harder, a grade harder than we are able on our own. So following Christ means that there are times in life uh, that we'll experience. um, We'll have the experience of pushing forward in obedience through uncertain circumstance we'll move um, forward trusting that what um, what Christ says is true and that he'll see us through uh, an instance where we don't see a way Uh, we'll be required to take action based not on what's happening around us but on who we know Christ to be and the person that he is when you consider the kind of um, commitment that we're asked to make to Christ it's imperative that he be worthy and able And these verses show us that he is. They demonstrate that the Lord is just that. He is worthy and able. He is, um, he can take that mantle. He he can, he can take us putting all of our trust in him to see us through what we cannot um, move through on our own. So this Advent, celebrate the person and the nature of Christ. Celebrate what he has done in the first coming that allows us to move through life on a day-to-day basis. uh, And celebrate that his character is unchanging. Who he is in this scripture is who he is today. And look for opportunities to take that message to the world around us. This is strong. And in a world that likes things watered down, that likes things palatable, um, as um, decisive and as as um, out there as this is, it's a, it's a soothing message. It's a message that the world needs to hear. So that's one, one section. Moving into section 6 through 9. Uh, sorry, verses 6 through 9. Um, for both Israel and for us, we're looking ahead to, to a glimpse of what life in Christ will be like um, when he returns. What the future rule of the Messiah will be. And there's different options for interpreting this. And, uh, and Adam and I were talking about different ones of those last night. So we could be very literal in our interpretation and look at the way that uh, these animals listed will behave in the future kingdom, we could um, be kind of spiritualistic and say that these animals represent very certain spiritual characteristics in the life, and that is telling us what's coming. Uh, I'm going to take a third approach for a couple of reasons, and it's a, a more figurative approach. Not figurative in the sense that this isn't true, just a bigger picture approach in a way that really doesn't negate the other two approaches, if that makes sense. Um, so in that approach is to say that... Um, that Isaiah is painting a picture consistent with this bigger narrative of, of what is coming. We can actually, I think, succinct, and I thought about this a lot this week, um, how, how do you elaborate on these verses, which um, in one sense are really straightforward, and in another sense kind of leave you wondering um, what, what to make of it. So I think you can summarize it fairly succinctly by just saying everything is going to be okay. Right? Everything's going to be okay. I'll close my Bible. We can pray and move on. Um, the coming kingdom is one that's going to be marked by safety and security. Uh, one in which conflict is removed. Uh, one in which things are made right. We see a picture of peace and of tranquility. Um, one which verse 9, um, which by the way references um, Isaiah 2, which Mitch, Mitch preached on last week. Um, describes as a place where God's people will neither hurt or destroy. 
So we can wrap our head around these verses pretty well cognitively, I think. It's, it's going to be a good place, right? Um, but sometimes it's hard for me to, to make the leap cognitively, to feel it emotively. And not in an emotive sense that nullifies the cognitive, but in a sense that, that, um, that amplifies it or brings it home. Sometimes I need to feel things in my, my bones in order to, to get all of the truth out of them. And so I struggled this week with trying to, um, to, to do that. How do we talk about this in such a way that that happens? And honestly, that's what happens when it happens when I speak, like I can work through stuff and it's great. And then when I try to communicate, it's like the weight of the truth, um, hits me in a way that, that it doesn't at a kitchen table. And it's like, Oh, okay. I'm going to lose my emotion for a minute. Um, so if you will bear with me, let's try to explore this a little more and, and figure out how we can, how we can feel this a little bit today. So the, um, I'm an introvert and there's a danger always when an introvert speaks that what is really clear in his or her mind uh, is somehow less clear when it comes out of his or her mouth. So hang with me um, and we'll see how this goes. So we live in a Western world and we talk a lot and for good reason about um, our part of the world in, in relation to the rest of the world in comparison with the rest of the world, right? So we have it really easy comparatively here. We are rich um, compared to the rest of the world. And uh, none of you, I imagine, woke up and wondered where your next meal would come from this morning. None of us are, are probably concerned with um, whether or not we will eat food at lunch. We may be debating where we will eat food. Um, but we have it, we have it pretty well off. Um, and we, th- we need to keep that perspective. But I, I do want to, for a few minutes, look at the other side of the coin and and let's just be Westerners if we can, uh, if we can do that. So the fact is we live in the West. Most of us were born here and raised here, and it's our context. It's, it's how we have done life um, for all of however many years you've been here. So if we continually, um, not continue, if we downplay or, um, or dismiss the day-to-day realities of being in the West, then we are... Uh, we run the risk of being disingenuous or dishonest and certainly of missing an opportunity to see God work um, in our own life and to recognize the hope that we have in Christ. So let me try to unpack that a little bit and, um, and see if it makes sense. All the while, not forgetting where we are in relation to the world. Uh, so we all experience a certain level of struggle on a regular basis, right? Would you agree? Okay. Not, thank you. So... Um, that's the reality. Sometimes it's day to day. Sometimes it's week to week. Sometimes it's month to month. Whatever it is, we experience struggle, right? Hashtag the struggle is real. Um, if we if we deny or dismiss it, we're missing an opportunity. So um, we'll walk through a, a generic example. So whatever that struggle is, um, we're wrapped up in it. In Christ's first coming, he equips us and gives us strength to move through that struggle. Um, be it in our walk with him, be it relationally, whatever, whatever it is, be it school. Um, I think the key is that nothing is too small for us to recognize that we need Christ. Uh, Isaiah, Isaiah, Psalm 127 says he, uh, unless the Lord builds the house, he builds it, builds it in vain. And why do you um, lay awake at night and rise early? It's 
feasting on the bread of anxious toil. Like there are things in life that are just day to day, and we think this is just my job. This is my, this is what just my lot. It's what I'm supposed to do, and it's up to me to carry that mantle. But there's nothing too small for us to uh, to have an opportunity to see Christ at work. So we have that benefit of His first coming. So we move through uh, a particular struggle, and we grow through that process, so that hopefully. What was once a struggle for us as we mature as believers and mature as people in life ceases to be a struggle and we just get new ones. Right? So that's the process of sanctification is God taking us from one point and moving us toward another. And if you're a believer, there's no such thing as, as something that's personal growth and something that's spiritual growth. It's all spiritual. We are, it's, it's all one. So as we move on that continuum, um, God is preparing us for greater things. And maybe he's allowing us to endure greater struggle or, or bear a burden uh, for the kingdom that's greater than what we were once able to bear. So it's an important process. And all the while that process is going on, we need to have hope for what's coming. We need to have hope and recognize that this isn't um, the end. This, this is a step in the process. And we're moving toward a time where we don't have to do this. <clears throat> Our 10-year-old is um, at a stage in life where she is... She is just really cutting her teeth on some struggles um, of being a person. Like she has a, her own pretty definite will and things that she wants to do. She would prefer that she be in charge, that she know all there is to know about how a day is going to go. Uh, and she's learning. She's either learning that her parents are really smart or that we don't know anything, but that we're steadfast in, in it, whatever it is. So she's hitting these barriers and she is um, an internal processor like her father and it just you can just see the grit and the frustration build and and something will happen like you haven't filled your water bottle for school and she is flinging the freezer shut and she's throwing stuff around it's not so much the water bottle it's just that i'm coming up against these things in life that are hard but she's gonna she'll be okay she's gonna get through it at some point um and she'll get a new set of of challenges right so in high school it will be different um in college, you cannot imagine something beyond like, getting through a semester. And right now, maybe finishing um, papers and taking finals. Like there's, there's a palpable relief that comes with like, these are done and I can't wait. And not long after your college, you're like, what a joke. That was just not hard. Um, like I don't sleep, I have three kids. And then parents of older kids are like, whatever, your kids' problems are so easy. Like... So we just move from one thing to the next, and when we're in it, it is the hardest thing that we've ever done. It's harder than what anyone around us is experiencing, and then we gain some perspective and realize uh, that it's not. Um, so, so on and so forth. So I need you to consider your own life for a moment and kind of where you are at your stage of life, where you are in your relationship with Christ. Um, I have a friend, some of you know, in Jeff Holloway, that coaches CrossFit and he says sometimes I'm going to need you to go to a dark place today and he he's meaning I want you to dig deep I want you to to be willing to be uncomfortable so maybe you don't have to go to a dark place maybe a dim place for a few minutes be honest with yourself about what are the things that um, that challenge you what are the things that you're facing currently that are difficult and what creates that tension on a day-to-day basis I was talking with Jonathan Purser before um, the service, and I think if I'm honest, for me there's um, 
there's a grind to life at this my stage of life right now and the grind just wears me out sometimes so it is um that thing of of having three kids uh that are kind of youngish one of which doesn't sleep uh run an organization continue to grow in my marriage with Tanya um be faithful in a relationship with Christ manage finances um just kind of get through the quote unquote normal hiccups of life and on the kind of the whole of it doesn't it shouldn't be that hard like it's not any different from what any of you are experiencing in life your own particular thing but man there are some weeks you're just like I I just am trying to get through a day let alone worry about like some big thing or making a difference in the world so for me that's that's probably the most consistent struggle right now is and if yours is harder right now you're like what a joke that guy's talking about like getting through the day and he doesn't even know what I'm experiencing so Yes, you're right. So think about your where you are right now. Um, let's skip that. So my regular everyday stuff, I, I did kind of intentionally use everyday because again, like there's nothing, there's nothing too small, there's nothing too mundane. Even in the everyday, we have a chance and a need to see um, Christ and to feel the hope that we have in Him. So whatever it is, consider the way that you feel in the midst of struggle. I mean, like the climax of um, of, of a difficult time, like where you just um, I'll, I'll continue being autobiographical. Like a, a, every day this week, leaving the house, one or the other daughter lost their mind over like what shoes they were going to wear or we didn't get book fair money to them or but I, I don't mean like they're disappointed. I mean, like in the floor wailing or screaming, and you're just, I, come on, I just want to get you to school, and I want to go to work, and I want to do the things that I'm supposed to do today. And so, true to form, where my 10-year-old gets it, I just feel this in my chest. It tighten up, I feel my clenched fist, and I want to slam things, and kick things, and express. So I need you to feel what you feel in the moment of struggle, in the moment of conflict um, that plagues you. What we long for in those moments of challenge is resolution, right? We want things resolved. We want them fixed. We want things to be made right. And that's even why we engage in some of the work that we do, um, some of the kingdom work that we do. The stuff that we do at Restoration Rome, that is trying to fix something that is broken. It's trying to take the results of a, of a shattered world and try to put them back to pieces, pieces back together um, one way or another. So we have within us this desire for things to be made right. Uh, it, it's no accident. It's in our it's in our making. It's how we're wired. Um, we see and experience that struggle, whether it's in our own life, whether it's across town, whether it's in the far reaches of the globe, um, and we know it and we feel intuitively that we are made for for somewhere else. So this this place is not our home. There's got to be something better. And that struggle points us toward toward something better. So verses 6 through 9 are describing that that something better. Um a place that challenges you, um 
that place that challenges you that, that I wanted you to consider a moment ago, that burden is lifted. So what you so long for when you are feeling that struggle, when it's welling up in your chest, that relief that you want, that is fulfilled. That's the least of it, but that is fulfilled. <clears throat> the place will be safe and secure. Um, there's no conflict. A place where things will be made right, they will be made whole again. Hashtag the struggle is over. Things that once uh, stood in opposition to one another are reconciled. The sin, the effects of sin are removed. Um, a world that is crippled by the fall is made whole again. We are made right with God. And the one that will usher in this new kingdom, this new heaven and earth, it's this, this shoot from the stump of Jesse. And verse 6 says, uh, And a little child shall lead them. And Jesus says, Building a kingdom in which there is no want, where no one lacks uh, for anything, where the effects of sin are removed. And verse 10, uh, it, it kind of fits on the end of the 6 through 9. It kind of transitions into the next um, the next bit of Isaiah. <clears throat> but it's the promise of Christ's return. Uh, that what he began in his first coming will be completed when he returns. That all the nations will worship him. That every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Christ is Lord. So this Advent, worship Jesus as Lord and Savior. Give thanks that he is faithful to complete the work that he started. And that he will return again. And give thanks for what's coming. Um, to close, I, we, there's the, the children's storybook Bible, right? Because I think they should just call it the storybook Bible. Because it, it, um, it speaks to me, uh, I think, as much or more as it speaks to my children. Um, but there's one story in that that's dedicated to Isaiah. And so um, I want to close with some excerpts of that that relate to, to this particular part of the book. So this is a letter that Isaiah is reading from God to the people. He says, you've been stumbling around like a people, like people in a dark room, um, but into the darkness a bright light will shine. It will chase away all of the shadows like sunshine. A little baby will be born. Yes, someone is coming to rescue you. And he won't be who anyone expects. He'll be a king, but he won't live in a palace. And he won't have lots of money. He'll be poor and he'll be a servant, but this king will heal the whole world. He'll be a hero. He'll fight for his people and rescue them from their enemies. But he won't have big armies and he won't fight with swords. He'll make the blind see. He'll make the lame leap like a deer. And he'll make everything the way it was always meant to be. And that's what we have to look forward to today. So let's worship uh, as we celebrate Christ today. And, uh, and be excited about what we get to celebrate this time of year. Pray with me. Father, fix our hearts on you this season. Fix our hearts on Christ. Let us remember who he is. Let us remember the strength and the comfort provided in his first coming. Fix our hearts on the hope that we have in him because of the day that he'll return. God, make that real to us in the coming weeks. Um, let us not be words that we understand with our mind, um, but truth that we feel in our heart. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.